Welcome to First Laughs, the show about starting out, standing up. I'm Jason Crane. On today's show, Sean Conroy. If you've heard the first three episodes of First Laughs, then you know that the idea so far has been to play you excerpts from my stand-up comedy sets, and with a little commentary about them, kind of telling you how I think I did and why I did or did not do well. But I also decided it would be fun to reach out to comics whose work I really enjoy. And one of the people I spend more time listening to than almost anyone else is comedian and television writer and improviser and podcast host Sean Conroy. I got to know of Sean's work through the Longshot podcast, one of the best podcasts I have ever listened to and one of my favorite parts of every week. But Sean's also a stand-up. He writes for the Adult Swim television show Mr. Pickles. He is part of a, a very well-known improv team and has been for many years. He teaches improv. And he seemed like a good guy to christen this part of the podcast. Now, here's the deal. Uh, if you have ever listened to my other show, The Jazz Session, then you'll know that I've been interviewing musicians for the last 15 years, and I'm pretty comfortable doing that. This was my first ever interview about comedy and with someone who does it professionally. <laughs> And I think it probably shows a little bit. Um, I'm not exactly sure this is my A game, so this this might be a uh, this might be a, a minor league performance on my part. But luckily, Sean is very smart and very funny, and he manages to pull it out. So uh, I hope you'll enjoy this interview with Sean Conroy. And uh, at the end of the show, I will, and of course in the show notes, tell you how to find all the places that you should be finding Sean's work. Okay. So without further ado, here's my interview with Sean Conroy. My guest is comedian and TV writer and podcast host Sean Conroy. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for doing this, Sean. Thank you for having me. So the the idea of this uh, whole show is to kind of talk about people at the at the very beginning of their stand up careers. And so uh, I think I'll just start asking you: Where did you first get the idea that you might like to stand up in front of people and try to make them laugh? Uh, it was so long ago. I hardly remember. Um, <laughs> I I was uh, an improviser, a comic improviser, before I ever did stand-up. And I was in a national touring company. I did it for years with a group called Chicago City Limits, which came out of New York, ironically. And I, I guess I just got to a point where I felt like I wanted to do stuff by myself. And... You know, I, I, it was about getting all the credit and taking all the blame, basically. Um, I wanted to be the star without anybody else up there or fail on my own without anybody else making me fail. And I've never done improv, but it seems to me like there's some pretty fundamental differences between those two things. Is that a fair statement? Yes. Yes. I've always found them to be very different. Can you talk a little bit about what some of those differences are? Well, you know, when you're improvising, a couple things. One, one is when you're improvising, the audience, for whatever reason, gives you more leeway because they don't know where you're going and you don't know where you're going. Um, and then when you get somewhere funny, uh, 
it, it, oftentimes it's sort of like them seeing a magic trick. Like they, they, you know, it's very exciting. And that's the fun of improv. Um, and the other thing with improv is that you're up there with other people. So if it's people you trust and work with, and I work with, you know, what I consider to be some of the best improvisers in the world, uh, somebody is always going to keep the ball in the air. It's never going to drop. Um, now it's not always the case, but generally speaking, even if you're off, somebody else can keep things going. Whereas in stand-up, as I said, you're up there by yourself and you get all the credit and all the blame. If you suck, you can't look at somebody else and go, oh, it's, it was him who screwed it up, you know? Um, and also stand-up, I feel, is in a sense more difficult with the audience because you are planning ahead of time and you're trying to make it seem like you haven't planned it out, but you're basically standing up on stage and saying, I am funny, watch. Sure, where in improv it sounds like what you were saying is that there's everybody knows what the conditions are, that people are going to step on stage with nothing planned out and see what happens, and that's exactly not what they expect in stand-up. They just expect that you're ready to make them laugh. Correct. So do you were you in uh, still in New York when you first did your first stand-up shows? I was. I was uh actually took a stand-up class. That was the that was the thing that got me got me going, which I, I found relatively useless, except that <laughs> I was funnier than everybody else in the class, so I was like, Oh, okay, if these idiots think they can do this, then I can definitely do it. <laughs> and do you uh when you first started, were you kind of doing the normal thing of going to open mics and doing five minutes? Or oh, yeah. For years, that was the whole thing. Um, you know, there, there were there were some places that were a step up from open mics, booked shows that weren't in uh, comedy clubs. And so I would, do, I would do those sometimes. And then every once in a while, I would say every six months for the first three or four years that I was doing stand-up, I would do what they call a bringer show, where I would have to bring a bunch of people who would all have to buy drinks and pay for tickets, and then I would get to perform in front of sort of a bigger, more normal audience than you, than you would see at your average open mic. So I did that for a while because it made me, you know, open mics, as you know by now, are, are generally speaking absolutely horrific. So performing in front of a real audience always sort of kept me kept me going a little bit. Um and that was of course back when I still had had friends. So <laughs> I don't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, for obvious reasons. Um yeah. the uh yeah, I feel like I've been a little lucky here because I live in now I lived in New York, but now I live in a in a small town in central Pennsylvania where Penn State is and I was emceeing uh-huh. a poetry series and the guy who owns the local comedy club saw me do that and he hired me or he asked me to audition and then he hired me as an MC. So I actually have never done oh, I haven't even done an open an open mic yet. I've just been doing like paid MC slots in front of a real crowd that paid to be there. Which in some ways I, I have found is a little more nerve-wracking. It's cool because they are coming and they expect a comedy show to happen and it's not a room full of other comics who aren't going to laugh. But it also means that they paid money. And, right. you know, 
I'm I am very very early in this whole process, and so you know the ten minutes I'm supposed to be up there represents all ten minutes of the material that I have. Right. Yeah, um, that's hard. Yeah. Uh, when you were there, muscles that you developed as an improviser that you found stood you in good stead when you were up there doing stand up, even though they are pretty different animals. I I, I people always say to me like. I, you you know your improv must help you so much in your standup. I have always found them to be so completely separate. Like I really have never found a way to marry the improv with the standup. I, I you know the analogy I always use to people is like you know it's like playing basketball versus playing baseball. Yeah, you're still an athlete in either sport, but you know, Michael Jordan sucked when he played baseball. Sure. Yeah, it strikes me that maybe the stand-up stuff is more akin to the TV writing you do than to improv. Yes. Yes, because it is such a pre-planned, pre-written thing. You know, and, and sure, there's times when you can, you know, riff on stage or be in the moment or whatever when you're doing stand-up. But generally speaking, for me, stand-up is a very, very written art form. And that's also obviously true of writing for television. Yeah, I've, you know, I've, for my whole life, I've really loved stand-up. And um, ever since I was a kid, and I've been reading stand-ups. And, I, you know, I've read people say, I mean, you know, Bill Hicks kind of famously said he just closes his eyes and walks out there and sees what happens. But, I mean, if you listen to Bill Hicks' performances, it's obvious that he's working a lot of the time with written material. And Lenny Bruce used to even say in his acts, you know, maybe if I'm up here for an hour, maybe five minutes of this is improvised, and the rest I thought about ahead of time. And that seems to be yeah. like a much I mean, more I will, I will, I will also say, you know, Bill Hicks said that, but I've also I saw him on stage a number of times, and he would get up there and say at the top of his set, uh, he would start by saying, "Well, I guess I got to plow through this shit one more time." You know? Exactly. Um, <laughs> so he was very honest about that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, do you find that the kind of feedback that you get in in stand-up is... I mean, to me, that's what makes it more difficult than almost anything you can do on stage. I mean, I was a musician for years, and there's, there's just nothing like being on stage and people either laughing or not. Is um, that something you kind of had to develop a thick skin about as you, as you started? I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there were nights early on. Now I'm kind of able, if I have a bad set, I can kind of shake it off. But I can remember early on uh, doing a bad set and just not being able to sleep all night, you know, not being able to get out of my head. <laughs> because you really you feel, I mean, I, at least for me, I feel very connected to what I'm doing on stage. I'm talking about sincere thoughts that I have. So if people don't like the material, what you have to do is separate your material from them not liking you as a person because they don't know you as a person. But it feels very much like, oh, these people hate me, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Can you talk about how you started developing material in the very beginning? Um, I think, you know... Again, it was just going to open mics. I mean, there was a, there was an open mic at the Gotham Comedy Club at 4:30 every Tuesday and Thursday, and I can remember, you know, for probably two years, I was there every Tuesday and every Thursday, and there was a bunch of comics, and we'd show up at 
and line up outside, and I would scribble little notes in a little notebook of stuff that I thought was funny, and then you just start to work it out on stage. Um, because I think when I, w- when I would sit down and write out stuff, uh, it, it would always come across as, as sort of forced or stilted. Um, so you had to get, you know, have the funny idea and then get it out somehow that works on stage. And is that a was that for you a process of in the moment editing or was that over the course of these Tuesdays and Thursdays you would figure out how to say it so that people laughed? I think both. I think it was both of those things um, because that is you know and again that's the that's the great gift of improvising is that you don't have to edit because the audience edits for you you know mm. you can hear them and if it's working it's working and if it's not working you do something else. Um, whereas in stand-up, you're, you're writing everything out, so you don't have that instant editor all the time. Uh, and so that's why it's useful to get up on stage and say stuff and go, okay, that didn't work. I need a new, you know, I need a new punchline there, or that premise doesn't work or whatever. I've, uh, I've thought, as you, I think, know, I'm a huge fan of The Long Shot, the podcast that you host. And, uh, one of the things about The Long Shot that I love and, excuse the praise, but that I think you're a real no, master. No, please, go on. Go <laughs> Let's on. slather it on. I think you're a real master of is the callback. And the you know, the, there are so many really brilliant callbacks, and you know, callbacks being references to things that happened earlier in the show for folks who are listening. Um, and I wonder, is there a... That strikes me as a very improv-oriented thing to be able to do, to remember something that happened earlier and call it back. But it also strikes me as something that's really useful in stand-up. I mean, so many stand-ups use that very effectively. I want, is that a, is that something, I mean, is that a muscle that you developed or were you always one of those people who could, you know, in a group of people remember something said earlier and turn it into a joke? Um, yeah, I think, well, I think, you know, obviously I was brilliantly funny from a very young age. <laughs> of course. Talk, basically. And, uh, I was always hilarious when I was with people <laughs> to death, any group of people I ever spent time with. But I think the callback thing is very much uh, an improv muscle, and I would say almost specifically something I learned from doing the Herald for so long, that that beautiful improv form uh, that is taught at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. And, you know, the, the, way, I, the way I talk about that, and I, <laughs> I speak primarily in analogies, uh, Jason, when I, when I do this, um, but the way I look at an improv set is, uh, you know, if you've ever played that game, concentration, where you have the cards and you spread them all out face down, and then you turn over a card and there's a butterfly, and you go, okay, that's where the butterfly is, and then you turn it back over and you turn over another card and there's a horse, and then you turn that back over, and you're always looking. Once you find another butterfly, you go back and you pick up the card that had a butterfly on it. And I feel like improv is very much like that, where you you lay out a bunch of stuff, and then when it comes to a later point where something relates to that, you bring that stuff back up from earlier on. And for whatever reason, comedically, that's very satisfying to an audience. So that's something that I, that I strove for when I was improvising, and I think it definitely comes into play when we're just sitting around the table talking like a bunch of idiots. On the podcast. So, so then, uh, 
so then no, I I knew you weren't referring to me. I hoped. Um, so then when you're on when you're writing material that you're going to perform in the future, are you thinking also about okay, how do I use that particular skill? You know, how do I make a joke forty minutes into my set that references something I said five minutes into my set? You know, I I I do have I do have stuff that I call back. I I don't do it as much. The problem is I don't do hour long sets particularly often, you know. And a callback to me is really more effective when enough time has elapsed that you're not calling back something you said five minutes ago. Um, it doesn't mean I don't do that, you know, do a five minute callback or whatever. But uh, yeah, once I've never really spent a lot of time doing doing long sets on the road or whatever, and I and I still have hopes at some point of doing that. I don't know uh, if or when that's going to happen, but I think if I was to do that, I would be able to find. You know, I'd love to find ways to tie everything together. That that's what makes a long performance like that totally satisfying. That it's that it's a complete piece as opposed to a bunch of ideas. So when you were getting ready to record Pleasure Is My Business, were you was that kind of an anomaly for you? Were you doing long sets in preparation for that recording? You know, I did, a, I did a few. I did a few, and I didn't do enough. When I listened to that album, I, you know, everything is, you know, <laughs> everything is whatever, it, you know, twenty twenty hindsight. Um, but if I had that to do over again, I would do it differently. And if and when I record a second album, I will do it differently and I will be you know I will be doing longer sets more frequently before I ever record another album because to me I mean I'm, I'm not I'm not ashamed of that of that album or anything like that but it's not a complete piece it's it's a bunch of funny ideas which is fine but not masterful so is that the difference between, like, uh, to use a music analogy, like a collection of singles and a concept album? Yeah, I guess that is a good that is a good analogy. I'll have to save that for my next phone interview. <laughs> Feel See, there, I called free. back to what I said earlier about using analogies. <laughs> That's right. Well, I was trying. You know, I was doing my doing my best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you listen to a bunch of great songs, that's fun. But when you listen to something that holds together as a complete piece, uh, that's a totally different thing. Um, and just finally, I wanted to ask you, um, in your in your television writing, is that, uh, having never been in a writer's room, it, it feels to me like it might be like being in a room of stand-ups all kind of working at the same time. Does it feel anything like that? There's an element of that, except I think a lot of TV writers are a little more shy than the average stand-up comic. Okay. Um, you know, there's definitely an element of people like throwing shit out there and whatever comes out, comes out and people are, people are funny. And then there's also the element, and this, this, I get myself in trouble sometimes, uh, because I'm ostensibly the head writer on this show. And that means I have responsibilities as far as scheduling and stuff. And like, we need to move forward. We need to get on to the next, thing we have to do, whatever, but when people start riffing in the room on stuff, I still have that stand-up part of me that's like, I want to be funnier than everybody else, so I'm going to keep riffing even when it's not necessarily 
productive. It's fun, but it's not, it, you know, it's time to move on. And I'm like, wait a second, I gotta be, I gotta be the grown up here and say, okay, let's uh, let's move on to the next scene. You know. Sure. And what's the process of figuring out when a particular joke is right? Is it just something you feel in your bones when you're in the room full of people like that and and working on a show? Yeah. That's exactly what it is. It's like, okay, that's it. Let's move on. And that's when, you know, 25 years of doing live comedy, I think, comes in handy for me because I do trust my instincts on that stuff. So whether it's a joke that I say or whether it's a joke that somebody else pitches, I just I just feel it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that makes I sense. I feel a strange disturbance in the force. <laughs> Uh, you've come to the right place, sir. Well, uh, man, I'm a big fan of uh, of everything you're working on, and uh, and just a, a big fan of of what I know of you from your public persona. And I really appreciate the time you've taken to uh, to talk to me about this. Thanks so much, Sean. Those are all very kind things you're saying. I appreciate that, and I am happy to. And that was Sean Conroy. Make sure you check out the Long Shot podcast and also visit Sean's website at seanconroy.com, S-E-A-N-C-O-N-R-O-Y.com, where you'll find his album Pleasure Is My Business. Of course, you'll find the Long Shot and the Flabbergast. Coming up in future episodes, a group of my friends and I get together to talk about comedy and why it matters to us and what we look for. Also, an interview with another comedian coming up very soon, and more stand-up from me. I recently did a stand-up set uh, for a private party, about 500 builders, uh, including a lot of uh, Amish folks, which was interesting. Unfortunately, I forgot to record it, so you're not going to get to hear it, but I'll tell you about that in a future episode. Meanwhile, I have a bunch of stand-up performances this month, uh, continuing my MC slot at Wisecrackers here in State College, and so as long as I remember to push record on my phone, you'll hear audio from some of those things as well. Got some new material coming up too, so if you've heard the first few episodes, it won't just be the same jokes over and over again, probably. Thanks so much for listening. Come back next time to talk about comedy again here on First Laughs. (laughs) 